listening to the ACB Advocacy Update. everybody. Welcome back to another episode of ACB Advocacy Update. This is Claire Stanley, the Advocacy and Outreach Specialist. And Clark Rockfall, ACB Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs. Thank you to everyone who is joining us during this time of social isolation and distancing. That's right, we are a month in now. Uh, but thanks to everyone who's listening via your favorite podcast player, as well as over ACB Radio. And as always, you can find out more information about ACB and the work that we're doing on behalf of our members during the current pandemic at www.acb.org. Very nice. So like Clark said, it's been about a month since all of this stuff has gone down. So we are properly sheltering in place. So Clark and I are many miles apart. I'm sitting in my living room. Who knows where he's sitting, um, but we're excited to continue to bring advocacy advocacy to you guys, no matter where or what's going on. So, um, with that in mind, we're going to be talking about a timely topic that's being impacted greatly by the COVID nineteen crisis. So, Clark, what are we talking about today? Sure. Well, a quick question for you, Claire. Ooh, um, I like questions. Yeah. If you have to remain socially distant and in some places um, have curfews and really shouldn't be going outside and interacting with with other people due to um, coronavirus transmission, how are you going to vote this year? That's a really good question, Clark. I can tell you that in the state I live in, Maryland, we were supposed to have our primary elections at the end of this month, April, but they've actually postponed it till June. Um, so I think we're still trying to figure it out. So that's a really good question. How do you vote when going in person can be at the risk of your own health? Um, I know some states, such as my state that I live in, Maryland, is going toward absentee voting. Um, so meaning your state will uh, send you out a ballot and you vote that way. But Clark, what do people who are blind doing? I mean, can you read the paper ballot? That's right, Claire. And when we talk about vote by mail, we are talking about a paper ballot that is mailed to a voter's residence. The voter then has to fill out the standard text paper ballot. Old school paper ballot, yep. yep. They have to sign the ballot, put it in an envelope, sign that envelope, address, stamp the envelope, and then mail return it by the date of the election to the Board of Elections. For that vote to be counted. For someone with a disability, uh, especially somebody who's blind, there are any number of reasons that that could pose um, an undue hardship or burden on a voter. A, you don't know potentially when you've received the ballot or if you have received the ballot, what piece of mail is the ballot? Exactly. B, you can't read the print ballot. C, because you can't read the print ballot, it would be very difficult to accurately record your votes in a meaningful way that would have that ballot counted. And, and this what is, I find them, oh, sorry. Go right ahead. <laughs> Thank you. We're getting uh, all what fired I, up here now. 
all for voting, democracy. It's what, what we are as a country. We believe in democracy and voting is really important. So I was going to say everything Clark just said is right. And if you get to, I guess, what would be D based on the list he was going on, even if you could do all, if you had an accommodation for all those things, the only accommodation that could really help you vote is by having someone help you. Um, and we live in a country where uh, the right to vote privately and independently is so crucial. I don't wanna have to ask a friend or use IRA or Be My Eyes or anything like that to help me re uh, fill in my uh, voting ballot because I have the right to do it privately and independently. Nobody else has a right to know who I'm voting for, that kind of thing. I wanna be able to do it independently and privately. And we've fought so long and hard to secure that right in the physical polling locations. Mm -hmm. And I've heard from a lot of ACB members that it's a point of pride for them to go and vote, you know, to stand in line at the polling location, to use the accessible machine, um, to make the, the polling employees and workers, uh, you know, feel the pride of setting up that machine and having it available to voters with disabilities. But exactly. This really changes the landscape a bit. So for so long, uh, in absentee voting, the only option has been paper ballot vote by mail, which for all the reasons we just cited is not accessible. Yeah. Um, so because of that, the only way in a lot of states, they're saying the only accommodation they could make to let people vote independently and privately is through that I don't want to use the term old school because it still is something like Clark was saying, we have so much pride in, which is going to the polling place and using those accessible machines. But what do you do during the COVID-19 crisis where we're not supposed to be within six feet of each other? six feet of each other. I was listening um, to the news today and they were talking about uh, Wisconsin and how people still had to go and uh, vote via the polling place. And I suddenly had this funny image of my head of the line of people uh, voting who were in a line and had six feet between each other and how long that line would twist and turn all the way down the block and probably multiple blocks. Now, unfortunately, I know that's not the case. They, a lot of them stood much closer to each other, but just the, you know, for the laugh factor of if we were to vote in person, you know, how, how could we do it and, you know, keep that distance from one another. And another complication to that, Claire, we heard stories from Wisconsin about people waiting you know, on average, one to two hours in some polling locations, up to four hours yep. to cast their ballot. Um, we're also hearing about jurisdictions that are still going to offer in-person voting, but drastically cut back the number of available polling locations. Mm -hmm. Anywhere from, you know, a hundred polling locations that they would typically have in a city to five. Yeah. And that also adds a burden for folks who do like to vote in person. Now you have to navigate transportation. You're going to a polling location that might be unfamiliar to you because it's new and different. And this introduces a whole new list of variables into being able to successfully privately and independently cast that ballot. We all know that transportation is something that's always difficult for the blind community. It always has, and for the foreseeable future, it's probably going to be um, difficult. 
Um, and now you add in again COVID-19 and public bus systems have been um, extremely cut down for health and safety reasons. So um, if you usually take the bus to say your local church and that's where the polling place is, there's a pretty strong um, chance that that's no longer gonna be available. Um, Uber and Lyft, you know, are not always the go-to for everybody. They do have, you know, some cost prohibitive um, components to them. They might not be available where you live. Um, so all these different things of transportation to get you to a new location that's probably further away than your usual polling place prevent or presents all kinds of new obstacles for people when they're trying to vote. Yeah, well, the good news is that accessible voting is not a new issue for ACB members. Um, and it's not even new for the advocacy update. We've done already a podcast on this issue um, earlier this year, and we had some of our colleagues and partners come and speak to this issue uh, and the great work that they helped ACB, along with the Mountain State Council of the Blind, do in the state of West Virginia. That's right. Yeah. So, Claire, you want to talk about that? Sure. So, um, in this past year, um, even two years, I guess, starting in 2019 and moving into 2020, um, ACB National had the great opportunity to work with a few different advocacy organizations um, and with a great legal um, advocacy organization called the Washington Lawyers T Committee to look at absentee voting and see how we could make that accessible for those of us who are blind and visually impaired and really extending out from that for the whole disability community. And Washington Lawyers Committee helped us um, work with the Secretary of State for the state of West Virginia to talk about how we could change their legislation to make sure that persons who are blind, um, and again, other disabilities as well, could vote independently for absentee voting purposes. Um, so they initially looked at the system they have for people who vote overseas, mostly military members, but also um, people, citizens who are living in other countries for other reasons, um, who can vote remotely via some different um, systems. And we said, hey, if they can do it, why can't the blind and blind disabled community do that as well? So we were able to work with the Secretary of State's office and the legislature and get some legislation passed that now allows for the disabled community to vote um, privately, independently through absentee voting in a way where I don't have to whisper to the person next to me, hey, I want to vote for Donald Duck, but now people with disabilities can do it independently and privately themselves. I always knew that Claire was a duck supporter. <laughs> um, yeah. Not Team Mickey, Team Donald Duck. <laughs> <laughs> so Claire just touched on a very interesting point. Uh, so it turns out paper ballots are not the only way to vote absentee, to vote by mail. Yuck. There are systems in place throughout the country um, in varying states, municipalities, counties, and even to the city level that allow individuals to vote absentee or cast a remote ballot and not use a paper ballot. So some of these systems allow the ballot to be emailed to the voter and filled out online and then submitted back via email or fax um, or printed and mailed. 
other systems use a smartphone mobile application. Again, where the voter can electronically uh, receive, mark, cast, and verify their ballot. And in some other um, states still, they'll bring an accessible tablet to the voter's door so that they can independently use that device to cast, mark, and verify their ballots. Uh, so what we're seeing now is that technology is advancing. It's creating a lot more opportunity for people with disabilities as well as military and overseas voters to be able to access and access their ballots, vote and cast those ballots and do so securely and independently. Yeah, like Clark said, I think it's really exciting to see that as we're in the 21st century, technology is really evolving. So we have the ability to vote independently and privately for people with disabilities. Um, I think some people will make the argument, oh, how are you gonna do it? The only way to do it is via paper, but that's simply not the case. You know, it's 2020 and there's all kinds of technology out there. So it's, it's exciting to see what we can do now. Um, as things are changing, a lot of states now want to go to, to absentee voting or that kind of thing as it pertains absolutely to nothing, you know, even before COVID-19 came about and things like that, some states are just liking the idea of changing things and going about things differently. Um, the city I live in, in Rockville, Maryland, we are going to absentee ballot because our um, leaders think it'll get more people involved. So wherever you live and whatever is going on in your community, a lot of people are starting even before COVID, like I said, to kind of play with new ideas and see how we might do things differently. But as a result, it's you know time for us to think outside the box and find ways for people who are blind or people with disabilities to be able to vote uh, independently as well. And that's a great point, Claire. Uh, not only for the disability community is absentee and accessible absentee balloting seen as a way to boost voter engagement and voter mm -hmm. turnout, but that's the case for a lot of people as well. For many people who um, are either low income or have fixed hourly schedules, it's really difficult to get you know, voting day off work and go to your polling location or wait in line. So if there are alternatives out there that can increase voter turnout and make it more readily accessible for all voters, uh, but especially voters with disabilities, then we are certainly all for it. And the reason we're having this conversation right now in the, the COVID environment is because voting, as Claire was saying, has been a hot topic lately. So not only are states having to schedule and reschedule and rethink how they will administer the primary elections as well as the general election in the fall. But Congress is also taking note that as the state plans are shifting and evolving, there's going to need to be more financial resources for states and municipalities to implement these systems. Mm -hmm. So in the, the third stimulus package, which passed Congress and was signed into law. Oh, it feels like an eternity ago, but I think it was only two weeks ago. I know it does, huh? Yeah, there was $400 million, uh, million with an M as in Michael, as in million, for election assistance um, to be distributed among the states. 
However, including that federal funding, there was no mention of accessibilities or voters with disabilities. Um, so ACB, in conjunction with many of our allies in the disability and civil rights community, uh, put together a letter that we sent to the House and Senate leadership last week. Uh, this letter was joined by over 75 organizations. That included many ACB affiliates. So thank you to all of those state and special interests that joined us in this effort. But it also, Claire, included many national organizations as well. Mm -hmm. Yep. So organization, yep. Organizations like NDRN, the National Disability Rights Network, um, other groups like that that have representation all across the country in all 50 states um, who really help us to bring a louder voice to these issues. So it's pretty exciting that, again, it's, you know, ACB is great and we're national and we have a lot of members, but it's great to see support from other disability organizations as well as other civil rights organizations, like Clark said, that can really amplify the voice that we have in this situation. Yeah, so names that folks would recognize from the blindness fields, the American Foundation for the Blind, Prevent Blindness, uh, the Blinded Veterans um, Association, just to name a few. But because this issue goes beyond just impacting ACB members um, to the entire cross-disability community, like Claire said, NDRN, um, which is the, the national organi organization that oversees all of the protection and advocacy organizations in each of the 50 states. Um, they signed on along with a bunch of their members. The National Council of Independent Living signed on and many of the, the local centers for independent living signed on as well. Um, the Autistic Self-Advocacy Network, um, as well as Paralyzed Veterans of America and, and so on and so on. So it's, it's a great show of solidarity um, that a lot of our allies, both on the national level as well as on the state level, are paying close attention to this issue. So Claire, where, where do we go from here? <laughs> There's still a lot of work to be done. I'd like to, we'd like to think that, you know, it's gonna be all rainbows and butterflies, but there's still a lot of work to be done. Um, every state is dealing things with uh, it in slightly different ways. Um, you know, that's, that's the way things go in the United States. Every state has the right to do their own thing. But as a result, we're carefully assessing every state to see how they handle it. Um, so that's kind of one of our big things right now is just continually monitoring what's going on. So I'd encourage all of our members to keep an eye out for what your state um, Board of Elections and Secretary of State is doing. We want to hear from you guys. It's really important. Um, and, um, we, you know, we're going to continue to advocate on behalf of the blind community when we find out if states don't have or haven't developed some kind of um, ability for our community to vote independently. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's an ongoing game. Um, you know, we're keeping an eye out both for the uh, primaries going on now this spring, um, but also for the general election come this fall. Yeah, and many folks will ask, is there, is there a silver bullet um, that can address this issue? We certainly think that having 
an electronic or online based system to receive, complete and return a ballot will go a long way to increasing accessibility. Um, that said, we know not everyone has a smartphone or not everyone mm -hmm. has internet at home. So there still certainly are barriers that exist, um, but we think a system that would allow people on a, a device that they're comfortable with, with their own assistive technology, um, that that would offer the greatest level of accessibility to the most people. Um, at ACB, we are technology agnostic. You know, there are certainly vendors um, out there that manufacture election equipment, both the physical election hardware at the polling location, as well as um, software-based resources as well. Um, we think that that's, that's great and we encourage them to keep doing that, that work so that our democracy can function. Uh, but we are looking for states to implement the system that best meets the needs of their citizens. And as long as they are doing that, we will support them in that effort. Who knows, maybe, like Clark said, there's no magic silver bullet, but who knows, maybe the next new awesome thing hasn't even been created yet, and somebody from our community will come up with it. So it's a new frontier, and we're hoping that through the advent of, you know, what's going on now, people are going to really start to get creative and come up with really great solutions. So maybe one of our own members will come up with the newest, greatest, and latest way to vote. Um, electronically and uh, accessibly for all of our, our members. So, you know, to, to be seen, what's going to come next? And as Claire said earlier, um, the landscape is evolving very rapidly on this topic. Uh, many states are right now working on the fly to postpone and reschedule and figure out how they will administer um, their primary elections. You know, in Virginia, we were lucky that the, the primary was very early March. Oh, it seems like an eternity ago. I'm sorry, I don't remember if it was the end of February, beginning of March now, how bad is that? Uh, but it was before everything was on lockdown and social dis distancing and quarantining measures were in place. Uh, so we're curious to see and hear what Virginia is gonna do come the general election. You know, they're certainly able to watch and learn from other states to see what's working and what is not working. And we encourage our members to pay attention to what's going on in their state as well as other states as well. One of the best Definitely. ways to do that is to go to your state government um, websites, either for the Secretary of State, the Lieutenant Governor, or the Board of Elections. And there you can see the latest news as well as election rules uh, and Claire there should be separate information there for voting absentee um, mm -hmm. as well as something that you mentioned earlier the um, uniformed and overseas voters and information there and yes. and why is that such a good resource for folks to become familiar with Claire um, that's really important because, you know, this is going back to what we talked about with West Virginia. That was kind of the hook we were able to look at and see if your state has a successful ability to vote um, 
you know, from afar, so to speak, um, via, you know, if you're in the military and you're abroad or for whatever else reason you're abroad, you can really point to what your state is using to say, hey, if they can do it remotely, why can't we do it remotely as well? So that's what was successful in West Virginia. Not to say that every state is the same, um, but it was a really successful hook for us to use in that situation. Yeah, and, it, and as folks gather information on this, we encourage you to share it with your um, state affiliate leadership and in conjunction with your state, um, then share that information with us and folks can reach Claire and me uh, through email at advocacy at acb.org. Great. Well, I hope everybody is excited as we talk about voting. Again, it's something so important um, that the blind community has been fighting for for many decades to get accessible polling places. And we've seen some great success. There's a lot to a lot to still be done, but we've seen a lot of great success. And I'm very thankful for the, the people who have come before me. But as we enter this new era where absentee voting is just becoming the new norm, and then which as it's been extremely um, impacted now by COVID-19, and we now need this more than ever. Um, I'm excited to see what our advocates can do, and we're going to keep working on it in the national office, and we hope that you guys can all come come aside us and uh, help be our allies in fighting for um, the accessibility within all 50 states. Yeah, and we encourage folks to find allies in your own state as well, whether that's the Center for Independent Living or the Protection and Advocacy Agency. Um, on the national and state level, they are all very interested in this issue as well. And the more we can all speak with one voice and work with the, the broader community, the more impactful that voice will be. And then one more point, the letter that was sent to Congress, um, that is available on the ACB website as well. So if folks want to see the press release that went out on Monday, April 13th, or the letter that was sent to Congress on Friday, April 10th, that is available on the website, or you can email advocacy at acb.org, and we'd be happy to send that to you for your own in-state advocacy efforts as well. Great. Well, we hope everybody is doing, doing okay and staying safe during this, this COVID crisis. Um, Clark and I are gonna to continue to advocate for our needs um, that are impacted by COVID-19. So please, if anything has arisen during this time, you can always uh, reach out to us at advocacy at acb.org. That's advocacy at acb.org. And Clark, what do we always say? Keep advocating. listening to the ACB Advocacy Update. You can reach us by emailing advocacy at acb.org. The ACB Advocacy Update is a production of the American Council of the Blind in Alexandria, Virginia. To learn more about ACB, visit us online at www.acb.org.